you fish enthusiasts out there, whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week, your audio almanac of all the fish. Monday, September 19th, 2022. And this year we're excited to take you on a week-by-week tour of fish across the country with guests from all walks of life. I'm Katrina Liebeck with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Ero. The autumn equinox is right around the corner, and so honor of that, we're talking about a big chub, the fall fish. So I'm excited about this one. I'm excited. We've actually got three guests today, each with a different perspective, but who share enthusiasm around this really cool fish. We've got an avid fisherman and the Virginia State record holder for fall fish. We've got Josh Dolan. We've also got fisheries biologist Mike Pinder from the Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources. And we've got Dr. Eugene Maracas, who's a research scientist and adjunct professor at the University of Richmond. Mike, would you be able to kick us off with a colorful physical description? Well, uh, sure. Uh, you know, fall fish are a North American minnow in the family Lucicidae, and these include the shiners, the, the chubs, the dace, and the minnows. This family is the largest freshwater fish family in North America with over 300 species. Now, the fall fish, it's a large, soft, rayed fish, torpedo-shaped, with a forked tail and a rounded snout. In terms of coloration, most of the year, they're, they're silvery, and they have these dark outlined scales. The margins of their dorsal fin and their caudal fin, their tail fin, is in black. What makes these fish really interesting is during the breeding season, the male will get this brassy sheen on his head and on the top of his body and down to his sides. His cheeks and his opercular will get a bright red and the sides and fins will get this rosy pink colored hue. Yeah, they're beautiful. And uh, one other thing is that at the same time, the breeding male will, will actually get weaponized. And with these horny projections, I, we call tubercles, that form around the eye and the snouts. That's awesome. I never heard weaponized before, but yeah, that's a common kind of trait with a lot of these fish. So that's super cool. And you guys are all in Virginia, but what's the larger range of the species? I know I've seen them up in Maine, uh, caught a, quite a few up there. Their native range is from the James River north along the eastern seaboard up into Canada, just south of James Bay. So from James to James then. <laughs> And these, this is the largest minnow, right, on the East Coast, the species? On the East Coast, yes. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and uh, in the southern part of the range, there, you find, find them primarily in uh, streams and rivers, you know, rocky bottom to sandy, sandy rivers uh, down to the coastal plain. But then you go up north, they do find them in lakes, and uh, so they'll be prevalent mm-hmm. in lakes. Where does the name fall fish actually come from? Is it somehow related to the seasonality of the fish? Where, where do we get that name? I have the information here. Oh, good. <laughs> and it's the fall fish derives from occurrence in splash basins beneath falls. I wonder, why do you think that anglers get disappointed when they catch a big fall fish if it's enough fight to kind of convince them that they think they have a big trout on, why would they be disappointed after having that good a fight? Uh, that is the million dollar question. It's, <laughs> it's the same reason a uh, largemouth angler gets upset when he catches a bowfin. Hmm. I think it's just kind of a dated mindset, more or less, is what people are kind of clinging on to, you know, being disappointed that 
you're not catching what you're targeting instead of just enjoying what you have in hand. So, yeah, maybe it's a bit of a bragging rights thing. And, you know, you don't get to show it off to your friends as much. I got to look at this big 20 plus inch trout I caught. But I'm curious with your record fish now, what kind of reception have you got when you show people that? (laughs) It is very strange. It's great that it happened and it's awesome. And I'm forever grateful for the situation, but it's kind of a curse in the aspect that now I have to describe to people that have generally no idea about fishing what a fall fish is like oh what is that it's like well it's like a big minnow and you know it's kind of an anticlimactic thing everybody's (laughs) like oh okay what the heck but yeah I tell everybody I have a world record chub and uh my girlfriend's kind of getting annoyed at that but (laughs) but but no no it's it's been great um we should probably hear the story of yours, like what happened, the whole kind of scene, how you caught it. I want to hear the story from all three perspectives of the people <laughs> got on here. Of course, like, you know, the firsthand account, but then when these two other fall fish experts first heard about this particular fish, I want to hear what their thoughts were too. Okay, well, I guess I'll start. I do the Virginia Master Angler Program, which is essentially a trophy in each of the 30 species that the state categorizes. So. <laughs> goes everything from largemouth bass to fall fish, carp, catfish, all those things. So I've participated in that and fall fish was on one of the few that I have left. I'm almost done with the program, but fall fish was, was on there. So it was kind of a bad weather day here in Virginia. I've been after the long nose gar state record a bunch. So I like the native Mm -hmm. species just in general, but I wasn't able to target long nose that day because of how bad the weather was. So I just kind of on a whim decided that I drive up to the cow pasture river, which is about two ish hours from my house. And I'd try to just knock off the fall fish trophy. We call them citations in Virginia. I didn't leave Richmond till like 11. So I don't even think I started fishing till like maybe three o'clock, something like that. It was a very haphazard, lazy day. For instance, I I hiked about a mile into the spot and I didn't have anything tied up yet. I had a shad spoon on an ultralight rod. So it just kind of shows you that they will hit anything. And I made two casts with that thing and and got nailed and uh, the drag was peeling out, going crazy. I thought I had my brown trout, which is (laughs) one of the other species I have left on my list. And I was pretty stoked for that because it was fighting like a, you know, five or 10 pound Brown. It was going nuts. Um, It was a shallow riffle leading into a pretty sizable deep hole. And I made one cast up into the riffles, brought it into the deep hole, made another one just kind of popping and letting the spoon flutter and it nailed it. I fought it all the way back to the net and I'm like, ah, that's a fall fish. That's a pretty big fall fish. And then I netted, I'm like, that's a huge fall fish. And <laughs> it just so happens that I have all the state record kind of sizes on my phone. I immediately knew it was close, put it on yeah. the scale and it went over three and a half pounds. It went three, uh, three, nine, three, ten. So I knew I had a potential state record. It wasn't until my brother's friend, as they're riding back, he checks the world record for the species and realized that it was like right there. So mm-hmm ended up getting it weighed in at Dance of Sporting Goods about an hour from the house. And uh, it was quite the show. Uh, my parents showed up, my, my siblings, <laughs> all my friends. Uh, it, it was a pretty good deal. So it was quite the uh, the whole charade. Whole adventure. Yeah, yeah two yeah. casts. So, I mean, yeah, you got to have a little adventure. Yeah, it, that yeah, yeah. So it was pretty That's fun. Awesome. Mike, what did you think of this fish when you heard about it? 
Oh, I was ecstatic because the fall fish making it a, you know, a trophy certification was kind of late coming to most of the other species. Many of the biologists in my agency were, were pushing for that. And when it finally got on, you can see that it's working. People are going out there, you know, specifically targeting the fall fish. And, uh, and with that, you know, Josh gets his, his world record uh, fall fish that day. So the things that we're doing is making a difference and hopefully that, that will bring more appreciation for the species. The um, trophy classification that they added for the fall fish was the entire reason why I was fishing for them that day. So it clearly works. So <laughs> that was kind of the idea. You know, you get the accolade, but you also get to promote the species as a whole. And yeah, I get the, cool. the blessing and a curse of explaining what a fall fish is for the rest of my life. So we haven't had a ton of anglers on this show who really focus in on kind of hunting records, which it sounds like that's sort of what you do, or at least hunting out these really big fish. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you consider when you're trying to target locations to hit, like to just kind of achieve these records or these marks? Um, as far as like finding where to fish? Is, is that yeah, because, you know, I go out yeah. and I do a lot of fishing and I'm focusing more on just catching the species. And every sure. once in a while, I'll find a big fish, but I wouldn't know where to start just targeting big fish specifically. Right. Um, well, I mean, a lot of it comes from on the water knowledge, just kind of knowing what it takes to make big fish, food, um, depth, location, that sort of thing. But then... It, it's more or less you're putting a puzzle together. So you take a piece here, you know, when is that fish going to be heaviest and when's it going to be, be there and be ready to eat little by little, you put these puzzle pieces together until you have kind of a game plan of where I need to be, when I need to be there, what I need to be throwing. Awesome. How, how many, you mentioned that this hole that you caught this fish in is pretty <laughs> commonly frequented by trout anglers who <laughs> aren't too fond of the, the fall fish. How many times do you think the fish that you caught hmm. had previously been caught by anglers and tossed back? Uh, or do you think it happened uh, at all? No, I'd say it's probably been caught at some point in its lifespan, especially if it, these things live to be, you know, nine or 10 for sure. It's been caught before. I don't know if it's been caught as, you know, as big as it was. And I'm, I'm almost certain there's a bigger one in there. I mean, I only made two casts. So I'm there. It would not surprise me if there was a four pounder in that hole, which is something to think about. Are you going to go back and try and, be well, yourself or are you done with fall fish until someone else comes along and passes you will i do it next spring i don't know it's just something that i'm sure somebody will beat it i mean like i said the one thing that's good and bad when it comes to being an angler that does this stuff is okay you've now brought attention to the subject now there's a mark that people want to go beat so the chances of somebody beating that record within the next year are very good i'm sure so we'll see we've talked about bluehead chubs on the show before and they build these really pretty cool nests that other fishes like to come and use. Eugene, I was wondering if you could maybe talk to us about this fish and does that have the same behavior or something similar? So the Nakoma species like the bluehead chub build uh, a conical nest and they spawn on the upstream slope of that nest. So the water current is facing them when they're spawning. In contrast, Fallfish and the creek chubs excavate a, a pit and deposit stones from that pit 
upstream to begin to form a ridge. And then that's where they spawn. They spawn at this pit ridge interface. There's a report from, I think his name was Wilson, back in 1903, that found a nest in a tributary of the, in the Hudson River embayment. And that nest was about six and a half feet in diameter and about two and a half feet, three feet tall. And he estimated that there were two tons of stones oh my God. in that nest. That's crazy. The, the funny thing about that story is that uh, he would ask the, uh, the locals, you know, the Native Americans and such, about, like what, what made this? And they said it was a fish. Of course, he wouldn't believe them. It was, it was like no yeah. way a fish could do something like that yeah. until until he got to see the evidence, see it for himself. I mean, it is in the water. I, I, it can't be that surprising. <laughs> <laughs> I did a study where I interviewed people to ask them, do you know about fishes that create nests by moving rocks with their jaws? And they'll say, what? <laughs> and so most people do not know about these uh, marvelous species. Yeah, once you can start to to talk about you know these these huge you know uh, nest mounds out there and that a fish did this you know car carrying these rocks one by one with its mouth you got a you know, good audience they they really start to appreciate it. Once a fall fish or other gravel nest building species constructs its nest, there is a host of other species that primarily minnows that will congregate around the nest and on top of the nest. They are there to spawn and or eat eggs. But I'm engaged in a four-year research project funded by the National Science Foundation currently to examine the relationships between the nest associates and the host species. And uh, the host gains benefit because it's surrounded by all of these nest associates. There might be 200 individuals of five, six, seven different species surrounding the chub that built the nest, the fall fish, let's say. So that acts as a protective mechanism to reduce predation on the chub because other species surrounding it will be picked off first. The nest associates, in turn, get a place to spawn, yep. clean gravel. The part that we're examining now, it looks at, are there any benefits to the embryos of the nest building fish, that is the fall fish, do the numbers of embryos laid by the nest associates really dilute the predation on the host's eggs? So that's what we're examining now. That's cool. So it's clearly a really important fish. I mean, these are not something that should be just kind of carelessly discarded out of the water. We heard that up in Maine. People are like, oh, just it's a fall fish, throw it on the bank. These are clearly really important to the ecosystem. So that's that's really interesting. Um, my take on it is uh, before, you know, the, the stocking of uh, of the non-native predators, be it uh, brown trout, rainbow trout, and uh, smallmouth bass, fall fish were one of the top predators in these rivers and streams. Those were the, you know, on the top of the food chain. They, they were never considered a trash fish back in those days. So, um, you know, giving it more attention, giving more publicity, we'll start putting them back on the top. For each of you, what is something you'd like people listening to take home about 
this species in particular? Just they are super fun to catch. And, you know, if you're just getting into fishing, you want to catch fish and you want to have a good time. They're not that difficult to catch most of the time. They'll pretty much hit anything. You can catch them on night crawlers. You can catch them on a shad spoon. You're in a typically in an area with beautiful scenery. I spent probably an hour before I caught that fish just walking around and checking it out because I'm not typically in that part of the state in May. So there's a lot of a lot of bloom going on, a lot of spring flowers and all that good stuff. And they're fish that will willingly eat. So if you're a new angler, it's definitely something to go take a swing at. And, you know, most of the time, whether you catch fish or not, it's going to be an enjoyable trip. I went out with some uh, fly anglers and, and they were calling them a Shenandoah tarpon because it's a big silvery, you know, fish that jumps out of the water when you catch it. And it fights all the way, all the way to the net. And also uh, James River bonefish is another term I heard. <laughs> I know everybody talks about you know, catching them a hook and line, but these fish are amazingly fun to go out and snorkel with. Yeah, good point. If you snorkel with them, they're, they're not shy. If you start digging up in the substrate and kicking up some aquatic insects, they'll be shooting through there like lightning, grabbing those insects. And you look behind you and they're, they're, there's a whole school of them behind you feeding on the, everything that you're kicking up. And uh, you can take some great photographs of them underwater and, and really get to see you know, the behaviors, their natural behaviors in their environment. They're architects. They're engineers. They're the construction worker, okay? They're the defender of the nest. They're a lover on the nest. And probably more importantly is that they are a convener of community. Yeah, they're magnificent. I think for me, the, the most important point is that they are keystone species. And so realizing their importance, because once a keystone species dies off or is extirpated from an area or becomes extinct, then it brings down a whole community with it. And so um, they're quite important. And I think we need to increase our education about non-game freshwater fishes. All right. Well, get out there and enjoy the fall fish and all those other native non-game and rough fish species like your suckers and your bowfin and your buffalo. listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebick and my co-host is Guy Eero. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. Produced and story edited by David Hoffman. Production management by Gabriella Montaquin. Post-production by Alex Brower. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region Office of External Affairs. We honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community. Individual tribes, states, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish. Mm-hmm.